I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. And I say, you know, if you don't mind, you know, I'm Dr. Williams, Chief of Cardiology, need to talk to you about what happened to you. And I'm going to ask you the silliest questions you've ever heard. Can you just bear with me for a couple minutes? And they usually say yes. Okay, so okay, okay, let's start. I'm going to ask you four questions. Number one, what's your understanding of why you ended up in here and needing a stent? And they'll say, look at me kind of funny. And they say, I had a blocked artery. I said, that's exactly right. Good. That's, that's number one. Number two, what was it? What was it blocked with? And it, it prepositionally challenged, but I understand what I'm asking. And they, regardless of level of education and health literacy, they usually can say plaque. I said, that's right. And what's plaque made out of? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, I think it's made out of cholesterol and fat. I said, that, yeah, that's right. So question number four, where did that come from? I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, my cruciferous cousins, happy 2022. Incredible, but yet here we are. And um, man, here we go into the unknown, into the wild. I sincerely hope that 2022 is a vast departure from 2020 and 2021. And I think we can all toast a nice heaping serving of perfectly cooked kale to that effect. 
You know, we are beginning our fourth year of the Plan Strong podcast. Hard to believe, but I'm proud to say that in just three short years, we have reached over 4 million downloads because of you. So thank you, each and every one of you, for sharing, reviewing, and listening on a weekly basis. We've had some really special, awe-inspiring episodes in the past three years, and I want you to know we're just getting started. This whole Plant Strong revolution is afoot, and it is so beautiful to watch it unfold. We've already got a fantastic lineup of guests slated for 2022, starting with my guest today, Dr. Kim Williams. Now, I'm going to start out with a powerful quote from Kim that you may or may not have heard before. It, uh, it is all over the internet, but he likes to say, there are two kinds of cardiologists, those who are vegan and those who have yet to read the data. This is a super bold statement from someone who, since 2013, has been the head of cardiology at Rush University Medical Center outside of, I should say, inside of Chicago. And in addition, Dr. Williams is also the former president of the American College of Cardiology and a man who is not afraid to mince words. I love today's conversation because I got to learn all about Kim's personal background and story that I was absolutely clueless about, including how he got into medicine and why and how he was raised on the south side of Chicago, dirt poor, and also how and what inspired him to adopt a plant-based diet. He also shares the four biggest questions that he asked all of his patients who have recently had a stent or some other surgical intervention. And these four simple magical questions often change the trajectory and long-term outcomes of these patients when they hear these engaging questions and become empowered. So you'll definitely want to keep an ear out for these four questions. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I want to invite you to kick off 2022 by taking the Plan Strong 7-Day Challenge. We have thousands of people that are engaged. You definitely need a little reboot. Uh, and I want you to know that we have tons of free resources for you. Simply head over to planstrong.com and you can discover how great you will feel by adopting a Plant Strong lifestyle. I would also like to share some very exciting news with you that we've been working on for a long, long time. We now have, for our upcoming retreat in Black Mountain, North Carolina, we have CME and CEU credits for physicians, physicians assistants, nurse practitioners, and health coaches. We've got 20 hours of CME credits and two CEU credits. So that's just part of the registration fee, and we're super excited about that. This is jointly provided by UNC Health Sciences at Mayhec, and we are thrilled to reward healthcare providers 
for all that they learn at our immersion events. And you can still join us March 1st through the 6th. Visit plantstrong.com today for all the details. Now, let's get back to our show. I know that you're going to feel empowered after this conversation with Dr. Kim Williams. And a little side note, there is a little bit of background noise in the beginning uh, because we caught Kim on a short break during a busy day. And as you know, life happens. Okay. Enjoy this conversation. Thanks. All right, everyone. I want to welcome you to another episode of the Plan Strong podcast. Today, I have one of the most, I would say, respected and well-known cardiologists on the planet, and that's Dr. Kim Williams. And uh, Kim, I want to dive in and I want to talk to you about your background. I want to talk to you about being a cardiologist. I want to talk to you about how you discovered and became enamored with plant-based nutrition. And then just kind of, if you think that we're doing a pretty good job in the meta, in the medical field, you know, moving that, that football down the field and if we're making progress or not. So we'll, we'll talk about all those things, but for starters, I'd love to know, well, actually, let me backtrack for a sec. The last time that I saw you was in Black Mountain outside of Asheville, North Carolina, 2018. You yep. were very generous and you you joined us for Plan Stock and uh, with about 700 other attendees. And we had an absolute blast. And and your, your talk was riveting. You had everybody on the edge of their seats. And I can remember we had a discussion a day or two beforehand because these were like TEDx style, style talks, 20 to 30 minutes. And, you know, I, I like to review people's decks just to make sure they were going to hit the mark. <laughs> and yours, yours was like 180 slides. And I sent you a nice friendly text saying, hey, Kim, you know, this is supposed to be 20 or 30 minutes here, not an hour and a half, two hours. And you're like, hey, Rip, I got this. I'm a pro. Don't sweat it. <laughs> and and if, if you didn't go through all 180 in 27 minutes and 30 seconds. And anyway, you, I've, I've learned not to question you <laughs> with stuff. No, like no that. worries. No worries. I, understandable. Understandable. Yeah. It was a, it was a great conference. You did a marvelous job. Uh, it was very stimulating. The audience, uh, you know, getting up and dancing, uh, I, that yeah. was unique. I hadn't seen yeah. that one before. So congrats on all you do. So thanks so much. Yeah. Well, and we played a lot of great music. Um, what was that? There was that great movie that came out and you actually loved the songs in it. It was uh, The Greatest Showman, right? Greatest Showman. Greatest yep. Showman. What great a movie. soundtrack. What a soundtrack. Um, so I'd love to start, Kim, just by asking you, where does your first name come from? It's it's very unique for for a male. I've only known one other Kim. He was a guy I swam with. Uh, and uh, is this a family name? Uh, how did you get it? So I'm supposed to say that it's British Australian. Okay, lots of guys named Kim. Uh, but the truth is, that I was born during the Korean War, and it was a common Korean surname, which, as you know, goes first, and therefore. My mom, as a South Korean sympathizer, named me Kim. <laughs> so how about that? Um, little known fact. Yeah. So did you, 
how did you feel about your name growing up? Were you like, yeah, I mean, or were you, did you get bullied at all or do you have to defend it? Totally bullied. Um, uh, but the worst part of being bullied on the South side of Chicago was um, being promoted. So I had like a few days of second grade yeah. And and I already had that November birthday starting in September. So the next thing you know, I'm two years younger than everybody else named Kim. Well, you know what? Yeah. Makes you tougher. Yes. And so um, there actually a science around it now. It's in, it talks about the resilience gene. So, you know, the bullying and all of the adverse, you know, uh, circumstances of growing up, single parent home, getting sick, being in a hospital, all that stuff it can break people or it can actually make you a whole lot stronger. And there actually is a phenotype of the resilience gene that gets induced in certain, certain people. And so I think I'm one of those. That's, wow. it seems to be. Um, so I, I actually appreciate all of the difficulties and hardships that I had growing up. Uh, well, it's obviously served you well as a vegan cardiologist, <laughs> That's right? Uh, right? No, holy Toledo. So is that fair to say, Cohen, I'd love to know a little bit about, your background. So did you grow up in a, with a single, a single family parent? Um, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I actually, I credit my dad um, who I, you know, really got to meet when I was uh, 10 going on 11 and I'm on the South side of Chicago, not many resources, not a lot of food that, you know, but struggling in, in many ways. But he was the guy who promised me that he would get me a winter coat. Okay. My birthday for my birthday. So it's November 10th. November in Chicago, pretty cold. So until then, I was walking back and forth to school with no coat. And it turns out he never he never came through with the coat. So December 5th, um, a few weeks after my uh, 11th birthday, I was admitted to South Chicago Hospital with a pneumonia. And that was, that was about my thir third pneumonia. Because I had a mother who smoked. And so kids of uh, smoking parents, lots of health issues. And so that was mine. So it turns out that that was a very index hospitalization for me because I'd been through it before. I knew I needed that 500 milligrams of penicillin every eight hours or I wasn't going to get back to school pretty quick. And it just wasn't coming. So I started going to the nurse's station and getting my own medication. And then I started getting the medicine that I was supposed to be distributed to my roommate and <laughs> making, and I laid on that hospital bed swearing that I was going to be a physician on the South side of Chicago and fix that hospital. It's not exactly what happened, <laughs> but, but uh, I did train the guy who's the chief of cardiology there now. So maybe a little it, bit. Incredible how that, and how old were you when you were admitted in the hospital with pneumonia? Can you remember? So that, yeah, that was uh, three weeks after my 11th birthday. It's amazing how that has informed yep. your whole life's work and your path. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. Oh, I definitely was going to be a pediatrician on the South Side and take care of sick kids. And, you know, then medical school actually happened uh, once I escaped the inner city and got into University of Chicago for college, became a tennis player. So I was attracted to the medical school. Uh, and when you get in medical school, you gravitate and you resonate with things. And I hope everybody does that. If, if you're not doing something that you resonate with, you probably ought to look at trying to do something else. As it turns out, everything in the cardiovascular arena, from the basic science, the physiology, every aspect, it's like it, 
it was part of me, like I'd done it before. Um, so I could understand EKGs like that. And I could hear the murmurs that other people couldn't hear. And next thing you know, I had to go into cardiology. I just, I was just drawn to it. So, and then it just so happens. Um, and this is probably, you know, you could think of this as divine intervention that being from the South side of Chicago, living in an inner city, understanding that heart disease has been the leading killer of Americans since 20, since 1918 was the last time it took a break for one year because of Spanish flu wasn't taken out by COVID. It was still number one. Mm. And if it wouldn't be number one in the United States, by the way, only a developed country left in the world where it's still number one, it wouldn't be number one if it wasn't for the 21% increase in cardiovascular mortality that my people have. The African-American population is worse than everybody else. If we could just get it down to the terrible rate that everybody else has, yeah. it wouldn't be number one anymore in the United States. And so I've been on a mission um, to try and, and fix that. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's good to interact with the community, churches, uh, tennis tournaments a few weeks ago on the south side of Chicago, um, um, getting into the dental offices, anywhere where we can meet people measure blood pressure, measure risk factors, and try to get, to get people to understand that they can make a difference, that their diseases are terrible, but they're all voluntary, pretty much, as, as, as your family is, is very well documented. Yes. Do you feel like, because what I've heard is that the Black, Black Americans are actually, as a culture, embracing veganism as rapidly as any ethnicity that that's in America right now. Is that what you're seeing right now as well? Pushing hard for it. And many other organizations are as well. You may have heard um, that, you know, if there's a person named Jasmine Leah, if you haven't interviewed her, you probably yeah. should. She, Jasmine uh, yeah. put together a movie called Invisible Vegan. And it really talks uh, scientifically, sociologically, historically, practically, about plant-based nutrition and how it isn't, you know, a white suburban female thing is something that we need to adopt. It's, some, it's something where the African-American history was before slavery you know, changed the diet completely. And that, um, and I know you're probably familiar with uh, Columbus Batiste. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And he's got this, you know, very strikingly named podcast called Slave Food. And Jasmine Leia talks about the slave food. And if, if we could just get everyone to realize where that comes from and how de deleterious it is. And, you know, if you're a slave and your life expectancy is 40, 45 years, you're never going to reap the cardiovascular disaster uh, that we do now um, from kidney disease, brain health, heart attacks, heart failure, all of it due to diet. I am awestruck at kind of so far because I didn't know any of this as far as your story. And, you know, it's, it, it helps me to understand what drives you. It helps me understand, you know, what a leader the, that you've become in this field. But could you share with our audience, when exactly did you become enamored with plant-based nutrition? And I'd love for you to actually talk a little bit about how Dr. Taswell Banks influenced your decision as well, because I think that's an important part. Fantastic. And, and love to talk about Taz well, but let me go back even yeah. further. Yeah. So um, part of my uh, food insecurity of uh, being in a single home was when my mom, who had a steady job as a secretary, decided that she was going to just throw the dice and go back to school. That meant we went from poor to destitute okay, in terms of income. But 
Um, it set up uh, an idea for the family. You know, I then went to college. My sister later in life, you know, ended up uh, whom you met because she was in Asheville. Yeah. Um, she actually uh, got a master's degree, et, et cetera. So it set up a pattern that's been that's been continued um, through the generations. Well, it turns out that one of her first courses uh, in the local junior college was biology. And some professor who she doesn't remember the name of told her in no uncertain terms, you have to become a vegetarian because your cholesterol will go down and you won't get heart disease. And by the way, you won't get cancer. I need to know who that person was. <laughs> okay. So she came home and said, okay, we're vegetarians. And we didn't know what yeah. we know now. And so it was sort of more of an ovo-lacto-vegetarian diet. Uh, and I maintained that uh, with one bad episode in, in college where the team didn't get me any lunch and all I had a chance was a hamburger or star for the next match. I ate the hamburger and for all in the first set, I was in the corner throwing it up. Uh, so I've never eaten red meat ever again. Um, but, you know, you make... You, you try to grapple with the science and the science uh, about the time I was getting married was really about, you know, the American Heart Association diet, chicken and fish, no skin, not fried, healthy diet. Turns out that might be help, healthy for some people, probably not. Okay. It is healthier than red meat, no question. But for me personally, uh, it turns out that I had the genetics to have a higher cholesterol than normal. And as I sort of retired from being a national uh, a coach of a nationally ranked tennis player, and I wasn't playing tennis twice a day anymore, plus there is such a thing as an age-related increase in LDL cholesterol. Put those two things together, and all of a sudden, my LDL wasn't 105, 110. It was all of a sudden 170. And that is when I remembered Taswell Banks. So he had been one of the leaders in the Association of Black Cardiologists, as had I. And at that point, um, he was trying to influence the scientific meetings uh, put on by the ABC to have more plant-based stuff. And, you know, he actually had some success and then a lot of pushback. Some, I remember some very comical, loud pushback yeah. uh, that, that, uh, that he took. And it turns out that, um, but those were really important lessons for me. So that that's the first thing I did when I found out about the LDL is I immediately changed the diet. Um, and got, you know, then I actually went on the search engine and found out that chicken and fish in general, yeah. beef and pork have more cholesterol than most species of fish. There's some seafood that's way higher, but chicken tends to be a, just a touch higher than beef. So if your problem is cholesterol, there are no safe animal products that maybe egg whites, you know, we used to say egg whites, jello and honey, but those last two have such a high glycemic index that we don't do those. Those would be worse than animal products, but we didn't know that a few years ago. Now we do. So bottom line is that Taswell really gave me the tool, uh, talking particularly about Dean Ornish and his diet that I could go then and look it up. And the best part of this story is that uh, to me was that the month that that happened, March of 2003, that is the time that Journal of American Medical Association published uh, David Jenkins' Mm. portfolio diet, plant sterols, almonds, making sure that you're getting um, soy protein um, and, uh, and psyllium, you know, fiber. And so I sort of adopted that kind of vegetarian uh, diet. And, you know, six weeks later, my LDL was down to from 170 down to 90. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's pretty darn dramatic. And, you know, I've written, 
I've written a number of books. And in my third book, we actually, I have about 1,500 data points, participants that actually do this for seven days than we do before and after biometric screenings. And we actually are able to show that, that the vast majority of it happens in the first week or two, if you're doing it properly. So you did it in six weeks, but it would have been interesting to see what would have happened in two weeks. Absolutely. Weeks. David Jenkins did the two week, four week, and it, the curve went like this. Right. So a lot, a lot of change. Well, the C-reactive protein. So he did cholesterol and inflammation and everybody's heard, oh, cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease alone. It's the inflammation as well. Both of which are increased, you know, LDL and C-reactive protein are increased by eating animal products and decreased by eating vegetables. Yeah. Well, it turns out that um, the C-reactive protein responds to diet a little more slowly, just a bit than, than LDL does, but absolutely those changes do occur. Yeah, that's interesting. So they don't necessarily correlate but uh, it's, it's a good reason to stay with the veggies for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. What, so have you been in touch with uh, Taswell Banks? Is he alive still? Is he around? So and I was unfortunate. Uh, well, actually, I guess I was honored um, to be chairman of the board of the Association of Black Cardiologists a few years ago uh, and to attend uh, and be the official representative at his uh, funeral. Mm. Um, he was a, a wonderful guy. And um, unfortunately, in D.C., there was a uh, uh, he, he was accosted and, you know, had a traumatic and, uh, mm. you know, um, outcome and, and uh, just very saddened to, to see someone who given his entire career to making people healthy, uh, you know, such uh, endure such a tragic, uh, outcome, but yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. That's, that's super sad. What, um, yeah. what, what year was that? So that would have been, I think 2010. Okay. Uh, I'd have to go back and yeah, I'd have to go back and take a look. So he yeah. did, he, he didn't have the opportunity to see you go on with all these, your, you know, leadership roles at Rush University Medical Center and as president of the American College of Cardiology and things like that. But I'm sure that sounds like he really inspired you and he's probably up there watching you. <laughs> I think so. And, you know, he he was such a leader and everyone re re remembers him. You know, we actually did memorialize him. And for those of you of you who are interested, uh, we actually have, believe it or not, Association of Black Cardiologists Vegan Cookbook. Okay. It's on the website, ABCARDO, ABC so abcardio.org under the patient resources um, and it was, uh, I, it was actually, I did nothing but come up with the idea and insist that it be vegan. Yeah. Everybody else did the work. And the, the most of that work was actually another person who, you know, very well. Um, uh, and that is, uh, Baxter Montgomery from yeah. Houston. And he's, he's done a wonderful job in Houston and he did a wonderful job putting together, um, you know, recipes. I, I have the science behind it, but what to do about it? I wasn't so clear. Now, now I'm cooking all the time. That's COVID. Once you have COVID, you have to cook. But now, is, 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 is Baxter a cardiologist or is he a general yes. practitioner? He is a cardiologist. He's a cardiologist. Absolutely. Yeah. And right. uh, he's a proud alumni of Rice uh, University yeah. and he's been in the community changing lives left and right. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So you, so you've been at the helm uh, at, at Rush University Medical Center, the helm of cardiology since 2013. Um, how, how has the department changed under your, under your leadership? 
Well, there really is a lot more in terms of prevention. Um, as you know, most university cardiologists um, have some inf- some idea about uh, prevention and many of the private practices are just nose to the grindstone, you know, trying to get everyone taken care of um, without a lot of um, uh, attention to the prevention side. Um, and, you know, it could be time limitations. It could be training. We have this very famous publication saying that uh, 1% of cardiologists feel like they had adequate nutrition training and the rest of us are just out there. Well, it turns out that um, we've adopted a lot of that prevention um, uh, mode at Rush, and we still do interventions and, you know, very successful program, uh, a lot of programmatic growth. And a lot of our plant-based nutrition efforts actually turn into um, interventions because people come trying to figure out how to, you know, if they can just avoid um, the intervention. But you know, not everybody can. There's, I have certainly some who are able to, you know, follow an Esselstyn diet, try to get some plaque regression. And for those who need a jump start, you know, we can actually do stenting. They, you know, if I, if I can say that something that's unique about our program is that we really struggle on one side with traditional medication, medication and stenting, stress testing, all of this classical cardiology, not focusing on nutrition. Now it's in our guidelines in 2017, a little bit uh, for hypertension, um, then 2018 for cholesterol. And then 2019, it's really in there that people should be improving their nutrition, avoiding cholesterol. When you say avoid cholesterol in the guideline, that essentially translates, as you know, to being a vegetarian, because that's the only way to avoid. And so, um, you know, but decreasing you know, sodium, decreasing saturated fat. Um, these are all principles of the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association. So a big transition now um, for those guidelines. Um, so we're trying to edge our way into practice. So they say it takes 17 years for guidelines to get into practice. We don't have 17 years. We need to do this now. And I have the other side, uh, a lot of plant-based nutrition people who want to improve outcomes of patients and they can but you'll, you'll hear of these occasional bad outcomes. Well, that's because th- those folks weren't taking advantage of what the other side has to offer. And it's not usually stents and bypass surgeries. It's usually statins. And so, so many people have heard bad things about statins. And, you know, there are people fairly frequently who have bad outcomes with statins in terms of muscle soreness, bad outcomes in terms of like the liver failure and stuff like that. That doesn't happen so much. But um, people want to avoid medications. I understand that. But, and I tell them, all you need is a time machine. Go back 20 years. <laughs> okay. Change to a plant-based diet then. You don't have all this plaque. You won't need the medication. But once you have significant disease, the two work hand in hand. And so if I could get both sides to recognize the strength of the other side, mm-hmm. you know, and that's pretty much what we do at Rush. Mm-hmm. So a couple of follow-up questions on what you just sure. said there. So um, is it is it fair to say then so you're a fan of statins i guess when it makes sense so let's say i i don't have any outward signs of of heart disease but i've got a total cholesterol of 235 mm-hmm. um what would you recommend that i do so first of all we actually have and i hope and everybody can download it it's the acc aha risk calculator it's the and that risk calculator Everybody should have it on their phone. And when the next time you have a Thanksgiving virtual dinner, 
hey, Uncle Joe, tell me what was your last blood pressure? And how old are you now? And, you know, and, and put all the numbers in, okay? And it'll tell you what the 10-year risk of having a heart attack, stroke, or death is. If that risk is more than 7.5%, that's about the point where a statin is generally beneficial. But we don't do that. That's not in our guidelines. Just because you know it wasn't 2013, but now our guidelines have morphed to do lifestyle first. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens with an exercise program, losing some weight, changing your diet, plant-based as much as you can. Okay, And once you do that, remeasure everything. The LDL will have gone down. The blood pressure will go down. The risk will, be, will, will have dropped substantially. We did this um, as a five-week vegan intervention on the south side of Chicago in a church. It was happened to be Obama's old church. And we saw a 19% decrease in cardiovascular risk uh, while using the risk calculator. And so that, if you, and you bring it down uh, 19%, you may not need a statin at that point. So it used to be that we gave it for high cholesterol, not anymore. Now we give it for risk. And so there are plenty of people with high cholesterol and they happen to be, you know, 42 years old, uh, Caucasian rather than African American, female instead of male, all the things that increase your risk. And if that's the case, their risk is low enough that they don't need a statin. Then you have some people whose cholesterol is normal, but they have such a high risk profile because they're 77 years old and, um, you know, have a little high blood pressure and the moderate cholesterol isn't good for them. Mm-hmm. And so and then we do use statins. So everything changed a few years ago you know, where we use it for risk, not for and for disease, disease and risk, not uh, necessarily for um, for cholesterol alone. Yeah. How, how many cardiologists uh, do you have in your department? So if I include all of my advanced practitioners, it's about 53 uh-huh. and, and growing. And so tell me this, is 53, is that, like, where does that put you in the United States as far as the size of your cardiology department? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. Um, and I'm not sure that I, I, I'd like to go and look that up. I wonder, <laughs> like, like I'm wondering if you're the top, top 50, top 10, top you know, 20. Well, so, well, size, size is one thing. Um, sure. but we, yeah. there, we do have, uh, you know, in, in terms of locations, we rush actually has, you know, a couple of places in the suburbs, a couple of places on the South side, North side. And so, uh, we are widening our footprint as we speak. Uh, and I would say more important than the number and where we rank by uh, number of physicians, yeah. it would be where we rank in quality. And so there's, if anybody's interested, the Vizient quality of care uh, rankings, we're typically number one in the country. Sometimes Mayo Clinic edges us out and we're number two, but yeah. the top five are always NYU, Emory, Cleveland Clinic, Rush, and Mayo Clinic. And where we are exactly right now in that top five, I'm not sure, but it's usually us versus Mayo that's number one. That's The other one is the U.S. News and World Report. And so the cardiovascular um, service line has gradually improved since the 2013, you know, and that has to do with quality and recognition, reputation and quality of care. And we're now up to number 33. Um, so went from unranked when I took over the program to uh, top, clear, clearly inside the top 50 and hopefully going up. That's yeah, a lot, a lot to be proud of. Um, so let me ask you this, do you, and it, if you have any idea, so of the 51 or so cardiologist at Rush, do you have any idea how many of them identify as vegan or plant-based? 
So I actually had that number and I used to put it on a slide and then it kept changing and it didn't include all of the trainees. And the trainees are actually the ones who hear my lecture and say, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing eating any, any more animal products, uh, adopting the literature, uh, a little less uptake in the old senior faculty <laughs> who probably need it the most. Yeah. Uh, and so I'd actually don't have that number anymore. I'd have to, I'd have to go back and do a biopsy. Um, but I, I can tell you that uh, when I, I actually have to do the so-called FPPE, the uh, focused physician practice evaluation. And so I'm looking at faculty notes and making nutrition recommendations is almost 100%. And that's something that you just don't see in other places. Yeah. Well, I can remember, I think it was when you were at PlanStock in 2018, after mm -hmm. your presentation, I think I asked you how many of the cardiologists, and at that point in time, I think you said like 23, yeah. and maybe there yeah. were 30, 30 something on staff then. I think you've, you've, you've grown. So to me, that's just a testament to you know, the influence that you have, the great example that you're setting there. Um, so thank you. I hope, <laughs> I hope, hope, you know, well, I mean, it, it's, it's a very deep uh, topic rip um, yeah. that, but that many people are not aware of, but physicians are, have, have the number one spot in the country in suicide. Hmm. And then there's depression and then there's divorce and then there's uh, drugs and it's not all cardiology, but it's everywhere. And the, a, the a healthy lifestyle can really help protect against burnout. And so every time I'm talking about a, a healthful approach to living and with predominantly diet, diet and exercise, and you see me in my tennis gear right now, yeah, no. uh, you know, I'm hoping that we can be the division that avoids the burnout. And, and it's also being able to talk to people. It's really in, and know that, know that you have each other's back. And if we do that, this whole issue of burnout worsened by COVID, but it was there before and it'll be there long after, uh, something that we will continue to deal with. Yeah. So you were the president of the American College of Cardiology, 2015 to 16. You've been a fellow there for a, for a while. Any big takeaways from your, your year at the rain there and, um, you know, the direction that this, because there's, there, in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, there's two big heart associations, uh, organizations in, the, in America, it's the American Heart Association and the ACC. And uh, do you feel like, you know, these two organizations are, are moving in the right direction with, with you know, plant-based as, as kind of the, the holy grail for, 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 for treating uh, and, and potentially reversing heart disease? I feel like we are. I mean, as I mentioned, our, our guidelines are much more evidence-based in terms of of lifestyle change, adopting lifestyle change, and, and talking about the mechanism of getting people to do a lifestyle change than it was before. You know, I we don't have industry relationships with the ACC anymore. We got rid of them years ago. I do hear from my colleagues that the American Heart Association has still got a lot of support from organizations that don't fit our guidelines. Yeah. But hey, American Heart Association signed off on the guidelines. So uh, as an organization, they are behind um, the plant-based nutrition idea, and I hope that they will continue to be. I don't, I don't, don't work as much with them as as uh, as with ACC. Um, but I would say the biggest impact. Um, you know, first of all, coming in as into the position, I thought I kind of would be known as the first African American. No, I was known as the first vegan. 
president of ACC. That's all anyone talked about. Uh, as it turns out, um, well, you're a threat. We're able to, you're, you're a threat. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Well, it's, you know, it, 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 it caused some chuckling, you know, and, but, but you also, it, you're, you're a, you were a threat and let's face it when you, when you mm-hmm. say stuff, which I applaud you for, when you say mm-hmm. stuff like, wouldn't it be laudable, right? If, if the goal of the ACC was to put ourselves out of business, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to ruffle feathers and get these people nervous. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I got a lot of support. Maybe maybe not yeah. outside of ACC, but within right. ACC leadership, because everything we do, the whole strategic plan, the mission statement, transform cardiovascular care and improve heart health, that means put ourselves out of business. And so that's really what we're supposed to be doing. And so I, I think I, I did have a lot of support for that. And, you know, I was able to start some programs uh, like getting our, our cardio-oncology section going and supporting the young people. But the one that I hopefully will be remembered for is that we started the, uh, during my, re- my tenure, we yep. started the um, nutrition work group. And this is a wonderful uh, set of people. Your dad's on it. We have so many people who um, and, you know, some of it has been referred to as the ACC's vegan mafia. It's not exactly <laughs> right. We do have a, a, one keto person. We have a handful of Mediterranean people. I always point out Mediterranean diet does not it, it improve outcomes for the cardiologist, only neurology. And then they go back and they look at the article and they say, oh, my gosh, how did we miss that? That 30% decrease um, when you switch from red meat to fish was only stroke, heart attack, cardiovascular death, and total mortality were unchanged. And that was the randomized trial that's supposed to you know, support uh, cardiovascular people using Mediterranean diet. Not so. Neurology, be jumping up and down. Our stroke um, uh, center at Rush is overwhelmed. Uh, we're doing thrombolytic therapy and trying to get the clots out of people's brains when they happen. It's just amazing amount of work. Cutting that by 30% would <laughs> give them a break. Um, so, but you know, for cardiovascular disease, no evidence that it's going to help. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so one of the things that you, uh, you impressed me so much <clears throat> at PlantStock with your slides, and you had study after study after study right? That was showing the effects of a plant-based diet. And you had some studies that were just three days old. So to me, I was impressed with how on top of the research and the data that you are, and this is leading to probably the most famous quote that you've ever thrown out there. When you Google yourself, you'll see this associated with every photo of you. And that basically is there are two kinds of cardiologists, right? (laughs) Vegans and those who haven't read the data. And, and my question to you is, Kim, in 2021, how can you be a cardiologist, a practicing cardiologist, and not, not be up to speed with all this, this, these piles and piles and piles of research that indicate what a plant-based diet can do? So it's interesting that cardiology is so big. It's such an effort, being number one in terms of mortality and being number one for so long, that the science is incredible. The techniques that we have, uh, and it's been characterized as mopping up the floor instead of turning off the faucet, but we've got some amazing mops. Come and see the mops. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but uh, the truth be told that uh, it's only the preventive cardiologist. It's a whole different specialty now. 
And my interventionalists, you know, they understand a, a bit about it, kind of like the way I understand a little bit about intervention, but they will actually send patients to the prevention group. And so not everyone takes full charge of all of the problems because, you know, we are highly segmented. And the fact of the matter is medical knowledge doubles every 73 days. Mm. And so there's no way that they all can keep up with it. Now, I hope that you're right, that someday there will be a basis, the basis of education is prevention, on top of which you build heart failure, electrophysiology, um, structural heart, and all the other subspecialties in cardiology. Why? Because we're losing cardiologists to cardiovascular disease. It should not be the number one killer of cardiologists. That's something that we have to work on. Is that right? Is it the number one killer of cardiologists? Yeah. Cardiologists and physicians. Is heart disease. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if that isn't ironic, I don't know what is. Wow. Right. So I want to throw another quote at you because you got some great ones. And, and, and this one is not complete. So I'd love for you to complete it for me, but it's like, I don't mind dying. I just don't want it to be my fault. I think somewhere in there is processed meat and also red meat. Um, is that correct? That's your, one of your quotes, right? So, yes. And so what that really means is that I keep my nose to the grindstone in terms of the evidence-based literature. And I do some things better than others. I will exercise because I'm addicted to tennis. Okay. And, uh, and I will uh, maintain a whole food plant-based diet. And it's a better vegan diet than it was before because everybody in your audience needs to know that an unhealthy plant-based diet, and this is published by ACC, the Journal of American College of Cardiology 2017, an unhealthy plant-based diet is actually worse than eating animals, mm. okay? We didn't have that for most of my vegan career. And so those vegan beignets and those, those uh, in Paris is this place where you can go and get uh, chocolate um, vegan croissant. Yeah. Well, they're wonderful, except that they're really damaging. It's refined flour, it's saturated fat, this is, these are things that people should not be eating, but we didn't know that. But now we do. So what happens to me is I developed, I, I would say, an ability, probably should say an addiction to data. And when I see something, I can make the change like that. And I wish I could put that little phenotypic gene in every patient of mine, just turn away, turn, walk away, and never think about eating something un unhealthy again. Well, speaking of that and, and your patients, what do you do to motivate your patients, especially with somebody that's not motivated? Because I would imagine if I'm your patient and you, Kim Williams, are looking at me saying, listen, you can totally conquer this disease and this is what you need to do. I've been doing it since 2003. Let's give you these tools. You're off to the races. I would imagine that you, you get some pretty good success. Am I, am I wrong? I, I do get good success, but, but let me tell you, if, I, if you have a minute, okay, yeah. how I do this, okay? Because it hit me a couple of years ago, and it's been the most successful thing during my oh. vegan cardiology career. Lay it, lay it on us. I'm typically being rounding uh, with the interns and residents and the fellows. The next morning, I'm in the coronary care unit. Somebody has had a stent the night before, okay? And I say, you know, if you don't mind, you know, I'm Dr. Williams, chief of cardiology, need to talk to you about what happened to you. And I'm going to ask you the silliest questions you've ever heard. Can you just bear with me for a couple minutes? And they usually say yes. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Let's start. I'm going to ask you four questions. Number one, what's your understanding of why you ended up in here and needing a stent? And they'll say, look at me kind of funny. And they say, I had a blocked artery. I said, that's exactly right. Good. That's, that's number one. Number two, what was it? What was it blocked with? 
and prepositionally challenged, but I understand what I'm asking. And they, regardless of level of education and health literacy, they usually can say plaque. So that's right. And what's plaque made out of? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, I think it's made out of cholesterol and fat. So that, yeah, that's right. So question number four, where did that come from? And to a person, they can answer that question. They say, I ate it. And I say, here is your vegetarian diet. We're going to order vegetarian food for you. We're going to give you handouts on how to do it. And if you choose not to do this, we'll make more money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they always laugh. And it really does capture them. And uh, if you give them the tools, you give them the time, people will make a change. Well, what you just, that... When did you first start using that method to, to talk to your patients? I, I remember it was January of 2019. Uh, it, the whole idea of motivational um, interviewing and getting, if I tell them the answer to those four questions, they're partly listening, they're partly absorbing, they're partly traumatized by what they just went through and facing their own mortality. But when they answer those questions with their own mouth, it connects the dots better than I ever could. Well, it connects the dots. And plus, what I love about it is you're not preaching to them. You're not telling them, listen, this is what you need to do. You're saying you're asking them questions with curiosity. You're leading with curiosity. And then they're exactly what you just said. They're filling in the dots or connecting the dots. It comes out of their mouth. And now you've got them. You've got them. So so anyway, this this is pure gold right here. This is pure kale. Pure kale. I love it. Um, Let let me ask you this, because I want to be respectful of your time. We got about eight minutes. What are your thoughts on this crazy keto carnivore craze that just seems to ratchet up and get crazier? So we, you know, we started with Atkins, then it's paleo, then it's keto, then it's carnivore. Any message you'd like to deliver to all of our listeners out there? I I really would. Um, So I used to tell people, all you need to do is put in your search engine two words, keto and mortality. And several studies will pop up. You know, we have the Eric trial and the Seidelman article and Italy and Greece and Japan. And everybody's got data that says that a keto diet done with animal products increases mortality, increases cardiovascular events. And it's because it increases, even though it improves some risk factors, people talk about it for diabetes. It actually can, if you lose weight, your diabetes will get better, okay? But, and your blood pressure can get better too. But at the cost of increasing inflammation and increasing the cholesterol level. But, and that's very well documented in the literature. What we didn't have until recently is the understanding, Rip, and this this was not part of my 2018 talk uh, because we didn't know this back then. It's about the microbiome. And if I could just spend a moment bringing your audience up to, to so I say, don't, don't put in your search engine, keto mortality, put in microbiome and eating animal products versus vegetable products. And it turns out um, I did talk uh, at your conference about TMAO, trimethylamine in oxide, not which texting, was not texting my ass off, but TMAO. Yes. <laughs> there you go. And as it turns out, Trimethylamine and oxide comes from having a bad microbiome. You eat animal products. You know, when you're eating decaying flesh, 
it may be fresh, but it's still decaying, right? It's just hopefully decaying less by the time yeah. you eat it. Yeah, it doesn't but sound very still, appetizing. <laughs> exactly. But you are actually ingesting the bacteria and you're ingesting bacteria when you're eating plants as well. It's just that the ones associated with plants are actually very benign for your GI tract. And the ones associated with eating animal products are very deleterious. They've got the science now down to the species. They know which species are good for you and which ones are not. And believe it or not, if I were to give you that same talk uh, right now, every section, the hypertension, obesity, diabetes, high cholesterol, they all would be preceded by the effect of the microbiome. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, we don't have quite enough time to go through each one of them, but I'll just give you, you know, uh, one, the ISMA gene. The ISMA gene is in some bacteria and not in others. The more plant-based you are, the more likely you are to have the ISMA gene in your bacteria, in your GI tract. Well, guess what that does? It takes cholesterol and it changes it to caprostanol. So we're wondering, we're thinking that vegans have a better cholesterol profile because they're eating less. It's way more than that. Uh -huh. It's that you're metabolizing and get rid of, getting rid of it through your microbiome. Well, why is this all of a sudden big science? Well, first of all, the recognition that kidney disease, chronic kidney disease, not just heart attack, stroke, heart failure, death, okay, but chronic kidney disease and dialysis can be can be improved by plant-based diet. And they don't have a lot of reversal studies for end-stage renal disease, but stage four, almost end-stage, going to stage three, three to two, and that sort of thing by plant-based nutrition, that is in the kidney literature now. And it turns out that's the effect of the microbiome on kidney disease. So it's all it's comprehensive. You what you'll find is startling that it's not just all of the things that I'm talking about. It's your brain as well. Um, everything from multiple sclerosis to Alzheimer's to Parkinson's disease, all of them controlled by the microbiome. Yeah. And so what, and and least the the loudest uh, noise in this area is COVID. Now I got a question. Can I just reverse roles for just a second? Yes, sure, ask you a quick sure, question. Sure. How many vegans do you know? died of COVID? I don't know any. I don't know any either. And it turns out this was published um, a few weeks ago that there was a 73% reduction in severity of moderate to severe illness with uh, in COVID if you were doing a plant-based diet. If you're doing a keto diet, it was dramatically increased. Pesco-vegetarian was somewhere clo close to the uh, vegan, but not quite as good. Yeah. It's the microbiome that determines your cytokine storm that kills you with COVID. And the vegans have a better microbiome. So it, yeah, this no, is it, where we need to be. No, it, this is where we need to be. I need to make sure that Dr. Will Bolshewitz listens to this episode. Do you know Bill? Okay. Uh, Will, know who wrote, who, he wrote Fiber Fueled. He is a gastroenterologist. He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's brilliant. But anyway, he, he's, all, he's on top of this stuff as well. Um, let me ask you this as we're winding down. Who are some of your heroes in life? It sounds like your mother was one of them. <laughs> so, well, so it, it, in, in many ways, she was. Um, my, I would say my great-grandmother, when I had the food insecurity, she was the one who would bail me out. Um, I would say that I learned a lot from my parents. A lot of them were lessons to reverse for raising my own kids. Um, I would say that uh, I had wonderful mentors at uh, University of Chicago that um, – that I had wonderful mentors at Moody Bible Institute, where I went for eight years and learned really from the scripture of how to 
manage a division of cardiology, believe it or not. Um, and uh, and I have a lot of folks that I look up to and in organized medicine, um, wonderful people at the AMA. A lot of people don't understand that the AMA is not the old AMA where Blacks couldn't get in. Not that AMA. Okay, This is full of young, vibrant vibrant people who are concerned about healthcare and healthcare delivery and how to do more for the poor and not burn out at the same time. It's an incredible organization. But the American College of Cardiology had great leaders and great people that I, that I look up to and aspire to be. Um, so I would say that um, there, I've, I learned quite a bit from so many places. Um, all, and I would say that to anyone in my leadership training, you know, always listen always be prepared to be the servant of everybody else that you're leading and never lead alone. If you do those three things, you'll be successful. Beautiful. How, so are you getting ready to play tennis or did you just get done playing tennis? Um, so, okay. A little secret. I used to be a yeah. teaching pro. Okay. Yeah. And so I always have tennis clothes on <laughs> TMI. I might be wearing a white coat and a suit, but I have tennis clothes on. <laughs> nice. So how about, how, how about our, our plant-based boy Novik Djokovic, he almost had, almost had the uh, the Grand Slam, almost did. I really hope that he's able to see his way through to negotiate his way into the Australian Open. It's his best surface, and you know he is an amazing athlete uh, to get to be his age, um, go through all he went through, and then really take off when he became completely plant-based. That's the majority of his grand slams. Um, and, you know, and I'd like to see him get that 21st. I love Nadal, love Federer. Um, they're unique individuals, incredible athletes. Um, but to get that plant-based message out, um, you know, Novak Djokovic really is the, is the person who I'm cheering for the most. Yes. Well, I got one last question for you, Kim, and then I'm going to let you, let you skate off. And that is, you're a busy guy. How do you make this plant-based vegan lifestyle work as far as breakfast, lunch, dinner, you're making rounds, you're seeing patients? Uh, I just loved it. End with that. Um, well, uh, I used to do a lot of uh, delivery. There are some really wonderful whole food plant-based delivery services. And then COVID happened and I ended up doing a lot of cooking and uh, you know, just ordering stuff and and spending more time. I still don't use recipes. I just throw things in there as, you know, sort of a gut feeling. And yeah. that there's a way in which that's very natural and uh, let, let your body tell you what, what it wants. Uh, so I pretty much do that. And, uh, and, and I go from there. And so I try to, I have some things that are fast that I can just, you know, heat up for a moment and then run off to clinic and uh, always carry. So I, uh, I know that uh, uh, the Esselstyn diet doesn't have a lot of nuts and seeds, but there's some of people, and that's because most of the patients are overweight, but there are some of us who are really thin. <laughs> and so uh, the nuts provide really good nutrition. So um, I have all, always a bag of something in my, in my computer bag. And, uh, and do as much as I can to do that whole food plant-based diet because uh, I tease the vegans who are not doing whole food plant-based that an unhealthy plant-based diet, now that we have the data, I say it's really good for the planet. Animal rights are taken care of, no animal cruelty, and it kills humans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Yes. Whole food, plant-based. Absolutely. 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 Uh, Kim? Uh, you're a beautiful man. You are gentle, you're humble, and you are, like you said, you've been a servant and an amazing leader. And 
I, uh, I appreciate everything you're doing and the example that you're setting. Thank you for joining us today. Well, I'm, I'm trying to hold up a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> you really should be talking about yourself, Rip. I really yeah. appreciate that. And uh, I'm glad that you have the immediate impact that you have and everything that you're doing. So, so sally forth and con- continue. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Plant strong. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kim Williams, for being an outspoken advocate and example of what the future of medicine can look like. Prevention and education starts with people like you, and we are grateful that you heeded the call to become a doctor at the poultry age of 11. You were truly made for medicine. Now, before I go, I want to stress one thing that Dr. Williams said in this interview that I believe bears repeating. There is new research showing that the highly processed plant-based foods that we see everywhere now littering the store shelves is less healthy and potentially more harmful to your health than animal foods. So once again, I want to stress our plant-strong goal of eating a whole food plant-based diet, one that is chock-full of all kinds of legumes, which are beans, peas, and lentils, green leafy vegetables, the rock stars, whole intact grains, all kinds of wonderful, colorful, magnificent fruits, and of course, the wide world of vegetables that are out there, and limited amounts of nuts and seeds. For resources on today's episode and all of our programs at Plant Strong, simply visit the episode page at plantstrongpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. And here is to a stellar, healthy 2022. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.